Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So Samantha, today I have a two-part question for you. I think we've already talked about the first one, but were you ever interested in a career in medicine? Yeah, actually, I started out my college career with the idea that I was going to be pre-med. I knew I was going to be pre-med. It also went along with I wanted to be a missionary, but I wasn't going to be a missionary without being actually helpful and Mm -hmm. actually saving lives, hopefully. And then as I started doing all of my medical courses slash all of the sciences, I realized how bad I was at that. And I Uh barely passed chemistry. And I was like, let me find another way to help. (laughs) (laughs) What was your like goal? What was your, how are you envisioning working in that field? I was envisioning becoming a general practitioner, being able to go out and service and travel mm-hmm. and help communities. I was thinking, you know, uh, obviously traveling abroad where mm-hmm. there's less access and I wanted to really be helpful. Probably Doctors Without Borders would have been my route mm-hmm. and all of that, thinking that I would be poor and hopefully, you know, going out in the world and helping. That was what I was envisioning. I see, I see, I see. Okay, and the second part of my question is, are you or were you ever big into, like, medical TV shows? Yeah, you know what? I think I got caught up in ER for a little while. Maybe it was the soap opera bit that I liked (laughs) uh, George Clooney. Who doesn't love George Clooney at that point in time? (laughs) But I did Uh watch that for a little while. Scrubs, really, really enjoyed Scrubs. Who doesn't love people being self deprecating as well as saving lives and having some heart, you know. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I did. You? Yeah. I didn't really, but I did. I love Scrubs. And to this day, like, I can quote Scrubs. I have the soundtrack. I was a huge... Me and my friend group, we were really into Scrubs. And it's funny, like, one of my favorite episodes is the episode where they make fun of House. Yeah. But I'd never seen House. Yeah. So I didn't get half the jokes, but I still loved it. I had watched a few episodes of House and I didn't get too caught up in that. But yeah, I... I, I, Did you talk about soundtrack? I have to know. Have you watched any of it streaming since the original? Uh... I, I mean, I own the DVDs. So, so no, I, you haven't watched it streaming because they changed no. the music. I don't oh, know if I it was a licensure or whatever, yes. but because I watched it so much, I knew what yes. music went with when. And yes. now watching it on streaming, I'm like, wait, that yep. that's not how that goes. <laughs> Let me tell you, Samantha, Supernatural. A lot Did of those it? songs oh. are not the same. And I'm always like, no. Oh, see? That's the mm-hmm. one blessing that I do have is I don't know that. You can't, yeah, you can't compare. That's true. But with Scrubs, <laughs> I did. and Because I was in that Netflix era of getting the DVDs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I would watch all the Scrubs through Netflix subscriptions. And mm-hmm. now comparing it to our streaming network and the fact that the songs have changed, like, it's, it's so notable that it distracts me from the rest of the show. Yeah. Well, music is a really big part of that show. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, yeah. of course. Of course. That's why I got a soundtrack. It's <laughs> 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 so good. I remember when, was it Grey's Anatomy and Scrubs? Both had an episode in the same week that had the phrase "How to Save a Life," and people were arguing about who used it better. <laughs> but the uh, only used it for like a split second. I was like, "No, not that song." 
Anyway, are we talking about this? Because I can keep talking about uh, that's a, a separate episode, sure. probably. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to talk about women in medicine, and specifically modern medicine, because more and more people are getting the vaccine, which is very exciting. Yes. And yeah, we wanted to highlight some of the more recent accomplishments of women in this field. And yeah, we've done episodes on women in nursing and medicine before, also women's pain being dismissed on the other side of that. But we wanted to showcase some women that you might not have heard of doing some really amazing things in the field of modern medicine. Yes, and we're all about giving flowers to those that are still with us today. Yes. But we wanted to start out with some numbers. Yeah, so throughout history and despite obstacles, women have been behind medical innovations around blood transfusions, organ transplants, and a lot of areas in reproductive health. Since the medical field has long ignored women, women, of course, have had to make do for themselves. Yes, and while there are still disparities in terms of gender and race in the medical field, more and more women are entering it and shaping it at all levels and professions. Numbers from 2015 indicate that in the United States, one-third of active physicians are women, half of all new medical graduates are women, 88% of nurse practitioners, 83% of nurses, and 63% of physician assistants. We've also talked about how women in medicine are more likely to experience issues around burnout, wage gap, discrimination, lack of mentors, maternity leave, and toxic environments, among other things, which are all issues that need to be addressed and also not isolated to the medical field. But uh, definitely a lot of articles, especially during the pandemic, have been written about burnout in particular. So that is something that we need to keep an eye on. But all right, let us start our list of women with Dr. Kizmekia Corbett or Dr. Kizzy Corbett. Who is a great Twitter follow, by the way. If you haven't started following her, she's fantastic. You should follow her. Absolutely. She is a 34-year-old Black woman who has been at the forefront of the fight against COVID-19. Corbett is one of the top scientists working on, who has been working on a COVID vaccine for the National Institutes of Health. She and her team worked with pharmaceutical company Moderna to pioneer an mRNA vaccine. And this is a vaccine that has an efficacy rate of over 90%. Recently, when Dr. Anthony Fauci was asked about the input of African-American scientists on the vaccine, Fauci responded, the very vaccine that's one of the two that has absolutely exquisite levels, 94 to 95% efficacy against clinical disease and almost 100% efficacy against serious disease that are shown to be clearly safe, that vaccine was actually developed in my institute's vaccine research center by a team of scientists led by Dr. Barney Graham and his close colleague, Dr. Kizmekia Corbett R. Kizzy Corbett. Kizzy is an African-American scientist who's right at the forefront of the development of the vaccine. Dr. Corbett's talent, determination, curiosity, and empathy manifested from a young age. And she secured awards and monetary funding for her university studies. And she got a spot as an intern at the National Institutes of Health. For her PhD, she studied immunology and microbiology while also working as a research assistant studying viral infections. In 2014, she took a postdoc position at the NIH's Vaccine Research Center. In January 2020, Dr. Corbett received an email from one of her coworkers basically telling her and her teammates to buckle up uh, that their training was about to be put to use. And yes, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Oh, gosh, yes. 
Dr. Corbett has spoken about her experience as a Black woman, a doctor, and the importance of visibility. I felt like it was necessary to be seen and not to be a hidden figure, so to speak, she said. I felt that it was important to do that because the level of visibility that it would have to younger scientists and also to people of color who have often worked behind the scenes and essentially who have done the dirty work for these large efforts toward a vaccine. This person who looks like you has been working on this for several years, and I also wanted it to be visible because I wanted people to understand that I stood by the work that I'd done for so long as well. And she's also been really vocal about the disproportionate impact of COVID on Black communities. And I think every woman on here, we could do a whole episode on. Like, we're doing kind of a brief bio in these. But uh, her story is really inspiring and fascinating. And also, Moderna is the vaccine that I am getting. So, Also partially funded by Dolly Parton. (laughs) Ah, Yes. That was a legitimate <laughs> reaction. So many good things to that. And yeah, Dr. Corbin has also been keeping a kind of uh, thread on her Twitter about her presenting about the vaccine. And she has been a really big proponent in talking to the Black community about what the vaccine is. And because, let's be honest, there's a lot of distrust when it comes to mm-hmm. uh, medicine in, in the Black community. Rightly so. Yeah. yeah. Rightly so. And they should be suspicious. And I would be suspicious. I am suspicious sometimes. I mean, for sure. But she has been on the forefront in trying to talk about it and how it's important and, and what she did in making sure that this vaccine was safe and uh, also that it was accessible. So kudos yeah. to Dr. Corbett. Mm-hmm. And now we want to move on to Dr. Rachel Snearson, born in Warsaw, Poland in 1932, who earned her medical degree from Hadassah Medical School at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And she was best known for her work on the Haemophilus influenzae type B or HIV, which is a bacterium that was one of the principal causes of meningitis and pneumonia and responsible for over 3 million serious illnesses and over 375,000 deaths in children around the world. She came to work as an instructor at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine for the Department of Pediatrics and the Laboratory of Immunology. There she met Dr. John B. Robbins, who would move on to the Division of Bacterial Products in 1974 and then came back around to the National Institute of Child Health Health Development, or the NICHD, in 1983. And it was during this time Dr. Schneerson and Dr. Robbins were able to help create the vaccine through the use of conjugates, which helped make the vaccine safer and more effective for younger children and as young as, I believe, two months old. And this process of conjugating would later be used to help create other vaccines for diseases such as whooping cough, typhoid, and certain types of malaria, and even anthrax. And through her work, she has received many different awards, such as the Albert Lasker Clinical Medical Research Award in 96, the World Health Organization Children's Vaccine Initiative Pasteur Award, Infectious Disease Society of American Citation Award, and was also elected to the NICHD Hall of Honor. And she was eventually named as head of the Section of Bacterial Disease Pathogenesis and Immunity with Dr. Robbins and finally retired in 2012. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of awards. <laughs> they, they saved a lot of lives. And yeah. yeah, by the way, the disease is fairly pretty much eradicated and has not been seen by the new uh, medical field. They have not seen it since then. Dang. Well, we have some more women we want to highlight. But first, we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor.
Thank you, sponsor. Okay, so now let's talk about Mary Guinan. Her story is amazing. I can't believe I hadn't heard it before. So after earning her PhD in physiology, graduating from John Hopkins University School of Medicine and completing residency, Dr. Guinan began working at the Centers for Disease Control of Prevention in 1974. And this is when only 10% of medical graduates were women. She started out in the Epidemic Intelligence Service, or the EIS, which is often described by her, too, as the medical FBI, where she studied global disease outbreaks. She was the only woman of 39 physicians. Through this, she helped out on a smallpox eradication campaign, and for her work, the World Health Organization awarded her the Noble Order of the Bifurcated Needle in 1976. What a name, I tell you. What a name. But all of this was after her application to volunteer with India's smallpox eradication program was denied twice. She was told it was because the World Health Organization and India weren't really looking for women to volunteer. Thank you. So Guinan asked if India's prime minister at the time, who was a woman, knew about this. And and after that, after Guinan was like asked about that, and then she was like, let me speak to your, your manager. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she was given a spot on the Operation Smallpox Zero team. And apparently an elephant became a part of their uh, effort for transport over flooded rivers. I really wanted to go way in depth into this. And I was like, Annie... We have to make this one episode. <laughs> At the time, she started researching sexually transmitted diseases. She went back to the CDC two years later in 1978 to work in the Venereal Disease Control Division as a clinical investigator. Through her work in this field, she became known as a national expert on genital herpes, which happened somewhat accidentally. The media sometimes called her Dr. Condom or Dr. Herpes. She Basically, she appeared in an interview where the chyron below her was like, STD expert. And she oh, did wow. not know it was going to say that. And then every other news outlet contacted her. <laughs> it's wow. like, we need you to come talk about this. She was worried about the reaction of her religious conservative mother when appearing on TV to discuss sexually transmitted diseases. Apparently, her mother never even said sex. But after watching her on 60 Minutes, her mother allegedly said, congratulations, dear, your hair looked very nice. <laughs> uh, Such a mother. <laughs> That's a conservative mother thing to do. (laughs) Yes. I don't want to touch on these other subjects, but your hair looks good. (laughs) Your hair looks wonderful. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And Guinan even turned down that appearance on 60 Minutes because she was kind of frustrated uh, with the media's coverage of STDs and STIs. And also she was worried about her mother, but the CDC like pressured her into doing it. And she once said, after a reporter asked her if you could get AIDS from a toilet seat, quote, the only way that I know you can get AIDS is if you sit on it before someone else gets up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah, that. she was full of those kind of comments. Dr. Guinan attempted to draw attention to the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s, but found that the media was reluctant to cover it since early reports seemed to suggest it mainly impacted the homosexual community. She, along with the CDC, worked to raise support and awareness around AIDS. Dr. Guinan set up the CDC's AIDS Task Force. Because of her work, she was promoted in 1984 to the CDC's Associate Director for the Division of Sexually Transmitted Diseases, and she became the CDC's first female chief scientific advisor. From 1990 to 1995, she acted as chief of evaluation for the country's HIV prevention program. 
She's a founding dean at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas' School of Public Health, and uh, has done extensive research into childhood leukemia. Her work with AIDS was the topic of the book and later HBO documentary, And the Band Played On. Apparently, she is only in one scene in the movie where she is baking a cake. Guinan said of this, they didn't know how to betray a woman scientist. In 2016, she published the book Adventures of a Female Medical Detective in Pursuit of Smallpox and AIDS. Wow. That's a I great know. title. I know. I want to read it. I, I want to I'm it ready. Let's, let's get it. Maybe a book club. Like, yes. Think about how that would translate into a book club. But... And next, we're going to talk about Julie Lynn Wong. Dr. Wong not only is a physician and public health specialist, but she's an expert in robotics and space medicine. The Harvard-educated doctor has made history by combining her knowledge of robotics, technology, with modern medicine. In 2011, Dr. Wong founded the 3D4MD with the idea of using 3D printers, solar-powered and easily portable to print healthcare supplies in remote communities. And by creating affordable 3D templates, it would help create low-cost medical supplies on demand. And it's so small, it can fit into a carry-on bag for easy travel from global areas that are hard to get to, to even space. Dum-dum-dum. That's so cool. Right? (laughs) And speaking of space, Dr. Wong was selected to participate in a 30-day simulated mission at NASA's Johnson Space Center in honor of the 30th anniversary of the Space Shuttle Challenger tragedy. Wong served as the mission's flight engineer. And then in 2017, astronauts actually used a 3D printer for medical supplies using her blueprints from 3D4MD. So they were able to actually create like finger splinters and all of that while in space, which... What? I know. And by the way, my partner who loves 3D printers and has three was very excited when I started talking about this. (laughs) I bet. Uh, And she didn't stop there. She founded the Medical Makers, which is a network to bring others to build and use their skills and creativity to continue to fight for humanitarian issues and build sustainable solutions through technology all over the world. I love this. I feel like that's another great example of when you specialize in a thing. Like, don't limit yourself to that one field. Right. It can work in different spaces. And also, she seems to be the overachiever that I'm scared of. That I'm like, (laughs) oh my God, you're the one everybody talks about that can do everything. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be scared. Don't be scared. We do have a few more women we want to spotlight, but first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Thank you, sponsor. And earlier in the episode, we talked about the amazing works Dr. Corbett did that helped develop Moderna. But we also wanted to look at the biologists that laid down the groundwork to help develop that, as well as the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine, which is Dr. Katie Corico. And Dr. Corico originally came from Hungary, moved to the U.S. in her early 20s. And though she's now being recognized for her tireless work, she was barely making it through in the world of academia until 
recently. And like many in the field, she had difficulty in getting both funding or even being properly compensated for her work. As a colleague stated, quote, when your idea is against the conventional wisdom that makes sense to the star chamber, but it's very hard to break out. Uh, but today she's being recognized for her breakout studies in mRNA, which is the, quote, genetic script that carries the DNA instructions to each cell's protein-making machinery just to give an explanation. Uh, and thanks to her continued work with mRNA, she has helped create a path to these different vaccines. And uh, Dr. Vouchy stated, quote, it is already transforming COVID-19, but also other vaccines, HIV, and people in the field are excited. Influenza, malaria, and he's talking about how it's going to help create vaccines for these different things. And mm -hmm. Dr. Carrico never held back. She was known for her intensity and dedication in working on her research. Her husband, talked about how she was constantly working, whether it was night and day or even the weekend. And he actually broke down her pay as being less than a dollar an hour for all oh. the time she has spent on it. But apparently she just didn't care about the money. It was about her work. She earned her PhD at the University of Sega, then moved to Philadelphia in 1985 to continue her research at Temple University. And she did continue throughout her career, though she would be rejected and continually overlooked. She worked with different colleagues in different avenues until finally Finally, she and Dr. Weissman were able to show progress in their work and were able to get grants from both Moderna and BioNTech. And on November 8th, the testing showed that the mRNA that she's been studying actually offered powerful immunity to COVID-19. And she and Dr. Weissman were able to get their vaccine publicly during a press conference on December 18th of 2020. And she was applauded as well as he was by their peers when they made the announcement, hey, the people who helped create this vaccine is here. So they were given a round of applause by their co-workers. Mm -hmm. And she apparently celebrated with just a box of goobers, which she ate all by herself. <laughs> Not really sure why that was the way they put it. I guess maybe she wasn't able to. And she told her husband that it worked. And her response was, I thought so. <laughs> I thought that was really fun because it just seemed like she'd been working so hard to the point that she had changed hands, essentially, of who was working with her and her advisors. Mm -hmm. And she never stopped. Even people were like, this is not working. We don't care. Yeah. She believed in it. Yeah. And because of her, we were able to get a vaccine so quickly. Yeah. And I think, because there's been some publicity, obviously, about people who've been working on this vaccine. And so stories about her have come out uh, recently. And I feel like she really wants an HIV vaccine. Like, that's what... Right is right. driving her. Apparently, during one of her conversations with one of the, her staff members that she was working with said, can you get a vaccine for HIV? She's like, yeah, I can do that. And she has, <laughs> and I think she continues to work for that. So that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. very determined. So now let's end with Dr. Francoise Barre-Sinoussi, who won the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine in 2018, quote, for their discovery of human immunodeficiency virus. Born in Paris, France in 1947, Dr. Barre-Sinoussi loved nature from a young age, and in her words, her path was determined largely by what her and her family could afford. She started volunteering at Paris's Institut Pasteur, and by 1975, she had earned her PhD. In 1983, she, along with Luc Montagnier, discovered the retrovirus that would later be called human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV, which was proven to be the cause for AIDS. That year, she was the first author on the paper that reported on this discovery. She'd been researching retroviruses since the 1970s. 
She headed up her own lab at the Institut Pasteur in 1988, where she launched several programs looking into HIV AIDS, including vaccine research. She is in charge of the regulation of a retroviral infection unit at the Institut Pasteur in Paris, where she's also emeritus professor. She was elected to the French Academy of Science in 2009, and from 2012 to 2014, she became president of the International AIDS Society. She's been prolific when it comes to papers as well, authoring or co-authoring over 270 original publications, and lots, lots, lots more. Her discovery in part led to the development of life-saving drugs that saved millions of lives. However, more than 38 million around the world live with HIV and not all of them can get treatment. So Dr. Barre Sinusi's work continues as well, which I I feel like we see in all of these women, this dedication and determination. And just to say, I know that we didn't always put the doctor before their name, but it's there. The respect is there. Respect. Honestly, this is amazing stuff we're talking about. The amount of achievement that they've done, the amount of work and blood, sweat and tears, I can't imagine Mm -hmm. what they've had to do. And even to fight to be there and to be heard. Yeah. And then the fact that they had to work to be taken seriously and continue to have to work to be seen even Mm -hmm. is a whole other conversation. Yeah. The level of impact they've had on our everyday lives often unnoticed or unspoken about, is really, it's amazing the work that they've done. We could definitely go further in depth. Let us know if it's something you want. And and we know there's so many more stories we could talk about. So if you have any suggestions, as always, please send them our way. Holla at us. Yes. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Hey, yo, thank you. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You's production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 